But there's got to be good singing. There's not good singing unless you got something good to sing about. Amen. And boy, do we have something good to sing about. And it is so good to see you again today. And what a day yesterday was. I can't believe it. I woke up and said to Lee, I can't believe it's only Tuesday. <laughs> it just feels, I know, that's Bayshore for you, isn't it? It's been several years since we were here. You know, um, we just thought we'd show you a little bit about uh, what the armor of God does not actually look like. <laughs> but mine's very shiny. And, and uh, this, is the, this is the breastplate of righteousness. Obviously, I'm way too big compared to most normal guys, you know, for, for this. But it did remind me of when, when I uh, got married back in 1991 to Lee Goodwin, who we met at this wedding in Denver. I was finishing up my third year at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary and then went to work in Bolingbrook, Illinois, where I had been the youth minister for a couple of years as their first full-time associate. And I could not figure out what was happening because um, after we got married, like, my tank tops started disappearing. What? <laughs> and my awesomest cut-off shorts. What? And my awesomest holy jeans. <laughs> and finally, I was like, honey, what is going on? I can't find my clothes. And she didn't even plead ignorance. She said, oh, that's because I got rid of them. Okay, seriously, though, for the man who was like, but I wore that t-shirt in seventh grade. <laughs> yeah, that just was out of there. Okay, the other funny thing is I have to laugh, Lou, because that's like the second story I've heard about shooting something in two days. Now, we live near Ann Arbor. Need I say more? <laughs> now, we're not in Ann Arbor, but they don't shoot anything in Ann Arbor. It's all humane. So anyway, so that whole shooting, it just kind of throws me for a loop. I grew up in a hunting family, so um, and, and living out in Dexter, lots of people hunting fish, but they don't talk about that because Ann Arbor you know, kind of. Anyway, that just... We I, have a buck I, pole in Dexter. Yeah, we do. We're, Opening yeah. weekend. Yeah, we do. Hung up right on Main Street. Yeah. And when we came from Birmingham, Michigan, to Dexter, Michigan, and saw the buck pole, it was like that. But anyway, all that to say nothing. It's just that every time I hear it, I... I forget that, you know, people hunt and can talk about it because you can't talk about it then. So thank you. Thanks for shooting raccoons. <laughs> I guess. Do you all shoot raccoons here? Everybody? Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah. Every chance we get. We <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, we just feed them down in Dexter. Cause yeah, we can't get rid of them. Because I, I, we cannot. We can't get rid of them. Well, let's try to bring this back around to, um, to what we're talking about today, because I believe it is so very important. Um, as Matt said, we kind of are, are going to dress up a little bit this week, just to, um, to kind of... Dress up. Yeah, right. Just to, um, just to give you an idea of maybe what we're talking about a little bit. Yesterday, we looked at the premise that we're in, we are in a battle. And I heard something or read something um, that said, Christians don't live in a playground, they live in a battleground. And I, we... Just jumping on that, sorry, honey. There's a, a neat Methodist church down in Georgia that started in two cornfields and now is worshiping 3,000 people. And they talk about how many people believe their church should be a cruise ship, not a battleship. You know, that we are about bringing truth and peace and justice and mercy instead of expecting the staff to wait on us and all the right food and amenities. And I just thought that was a really helpful image that you might want to take back for your congregation. 
So we, are, we live in a battleground, and we have enemies, and we have enemies, the Bible says, that we can't even see. They're not of flesh and blood. But don't get me wrong, because we have enemies down here also. You know, there are people in our lives um, that may be out to get us, to, um, to, to get our character, to knock us down a little bit. We do have enemies that we can't forget about, but we've got these enemies that we cannot even see. We have an enemy that we cannot even see. There's one who wants to destroy us. There's one who wants to make us ineffective. There's one that wants to knock us down so that we cannot get back up. And there's one who wants to make us ineffective in leading and helping others to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I wonder if you've seen a little bit of the battle yesterday as you walked around and you thought about maybe things you'd heard today. Have you looked back and seen, oh, maybe that's the battle they're talking about. Maybe that's. I think that once I started working on this study, I was reminded of the battle. And the more I got into it, the more I thought, that's exactly where it is. This battle is happening. And remember, I said I'd almost forgotten about the battle. I'd almost forgotten that Satan was working, and that's exactly where he wanted me to forget that there is even a battle, that there is an evil one. And we're not trying to look for Satan and look for little devils under every rock and make it seem like, well, that's Satan and that's Satan and that's... I don't want to give him that power. I just want to be aware that there's a battle. And I want to remember that he is a liar and he's a murderer and that he pretends to be an angel of light when he's really an angel of darkness. I want to remember that there is someone out there seeking people to devour. And I want to remember that he is trying to wreak havoc in the lives of believers, in the lives of believers in the church and outside of the church and around the world. So God, Paul gives us all the information that we need, and he tells us what to do. We read it yesterday, and I'm going to have you turn to Ephesians 6, 10 through 14 again. Somebody read that out loud for me, please. Ephesians 6, 10 through 14. Actually, just the first part of verse 14. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness Stand firm, therefore. Stand firm. Take up your armor and stand firm. We are not to run away from the battle. We are not to, um, to forget the battle. We're to just pick up our armor and we're to stand, for, stand firm. And Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God. He doesn't just say pick one of those little things and put it on. He says put on the full armor armor of God. It's not just one little breastplate of righteousness to help you This cope. only looks a little because I'm wearing it. Right. It's, gi it's ginormous. <laughs> but it's a complete set of armor that helps you to stand. And every part of this, every piece of this armor was provided for you when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's a complete set. And all that you and I have to do is to put on what we already have. And I think sometimes the battle gets tough and the days are hard and life is hard and we drop our armor. And we're just reminded to pick it back up and put it on. Because if we're going to go into battle, no piece can be missing. Every piece is important. The first thing that Satan did in the Garden of Eden, as he was prowling about and lying, was to cast doubt on God's word. Remember what he said to Eve? Did God really say? Did God really say? He cast doubt on what God had said. And you know what? Eve fell for it. And you know what? 
I fall for it. And if you're honest with yourself, I would imagine that maybe you have fallen for it too. Casting doubt on what God said, and it was so effective that it made it so that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, are all, we all have this nature now. And that's the reason that Paul, before anything else, before he lists the armor, he tells us to stand firm. And in verse uh, 14, he says, having girded yourselves or girded your loins with truth. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. This verb tense here tells us that we are not to be passive, that we are to take action, we are to arm ourselves with truth. And this armor wasn't put on when we put on Christ. It was given to us, but it was not put on us. We have the ability to use it, but it's something that we have to do. We have to do it ourselves. We have to believe it. We have to embrace it. And we have to respond by picking up that armor. Before Paul tells us anything about that armor, he tells us to stand firm, having girded our loins with truth. We have put on truth, he says. Now you are to stand firm. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve um, take their eye off of God, and they believe the lie of the serpent, and they eat the apple, and the woman's like, here. Don't you know Adam was right there, allowing her to be tempted? Why didn't he pick up some shovel and just, like, smash the thing? Or get Lou. Get Lou. <laughs> of course, who knows what would have been hit. <laughs> no, it's the tree of not. <laughs> it's the tree of life. But um, the first thing... All right, so then Adam and Eve make little fig coverings for themselves, and they do what? They hide. For the first time in reality, in the universe, you hear words like hidden, hiding, ashamed. And then God, in his great mercy and love, says, Adam, where are you? I mean, that's a no-brainer. But that God wants that relationship with us. But then the second thing, after Adam says, we hid because we were naked, what does God say? Do you remember? Who told you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. That must be the... How do you know? That was the new reviled slandered perversion. How do you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, Who told you? And I guess the, the thing that hits me so hard is that is, um, and probably the first reason that Paul talks first about the belt of truth is because it's God's asking us, who told you that about yourself? Who told you that about that other person? Who told you that about um, God or about following God, that it was going to be something other than the amazing journey that it is? Who have you been listening to? So Paul then talks about girding ourselves with the belt of truth. Listen, if I'm a soldier and I'm going out and I've got this skirt thing on and this all, and I'm trying to, you know, kind of like run and it gets all kind of entangled, Paul says that we need something to help us. And what he says is that you need something to keep everything else in place. So he says, put on the belt of truth. So you put on this belt. Right side out in the right way. Put on this belt of truth. This is to be our foundation. Truth is our foundation. And it's the foundation that we have for all the rest of the armor. Because believe it or not, this belt is not going to save you from anything. All it does is go around my waist. In Roman times, it probably had something that went, th- that went down here to protect that. However, that's not necessarily a fatal blow, right? Uh, Okay, I'm just I'm just saying. I'm just saying. In in my mind, that's not a fatal blow. 
so he says, put on this belt of truth. And you know what they used their belt for? They used their belt, one of the reason, things that they used their belt for was to keep their sword tucked in. Because they don't want to just run willy-nilly, hanging, you know, hanging on to everything else. With this. They needed to have a place where their sword, the sword of the Holy Spirit, was kept so that it was in, able to be used quickly. So a lot of times it had a sheath on it that would hold their, uh, their sword. The other thing that it did was this. I have a skirt on, don't worry. A skirt. I have a skirt on. There you go. Is that when they were in battle, listen what they could do. Look, they could tuck their tunics in so that they could run unencumbered, right? The Bible talks about running the race in another part. Paul talked about it. Run in such a way that you're not encumbered. So he said, tuck that tunic right into your belt. It keeps everything in place. It keeps this in place. It keeps my my robe tucked in. It keeps my sword in place. It's the belt of truth. Truth does the same thing for us. It keeps everything else in place. And don't miss the importance of the belt of truth because if you miss the importance of the belt of truth, you've missed everything that Paul wants to talk about. It keeps us from getting entangled in the heat of the battle because we know what truth is. And this combination of belts really kept everything together, kept all in place. And it was used to secure the breastplate even when he was in battle so that it didn't, it, it didn't go around so you lose your protection from that. The belt kept it in place. So it keeps us also from getting tangled up. Truth tells us what is right and what is wrong. And that's so important when you're dealing with who? The father of what? Lies. And the liar and a murderer. When you know what truth is and those fiery darts that want to trip you up and want to, and, and he's lying to you, it keeps it all in place. He wants, Satan wants you to believe that's what, that what is wrong. He wants you to believe that's, okay, I'm going to say that again. Satan wants you to believe that what is wrong is right and what is right is wrong. Do you see it? I hope you see it in our world today because we're being fed such lies, such lies. It, 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 he wants us to believe that's, that what is right is wrong and what is wrong is right. If you're honest with yourselves, then maybe you see where you have bought into the lie of Satan. I see it all the time. And you and I need to gird ourselves with truth. And where do we find that truth? In the word of God. It is not, uh, it, it is very, well, this is truth. This is truth right here. Somebody turn, or keep your finger at Ephesians 6. Everybody turn to John 17, verses 14 to 17. John 17, John 17, 14 to 17. Does anybody need a Bible? There's some extras up here. Somebody read it out loud for me as soon as I turn there. Just a second. Okay, go. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Mm. John 17, 14 to 17. Do you know when a communist, let's call it what it is, dictatorship, or when a fascist, or when a totalitarian government takes over a country, what's the first book that is banned consistently throughout history, including in the 21st century? The Bible. If it's myths, if it's all metaphorical, what would be threatening about that to someone trying to control a lot more than God would ever want for a leader to control? There's a reason, and interestingly, it's the enemies of God 
who seem to know most about the potency of the scriptures. We can get a little bit lax in that ourselves. We'll talk about that more in a couple days, the sword of the spirit, but uh, the idea of God's truth contained in the revelation of the 66 ancient documents that were put together, that are the closest thing that we have to the Christ event, are, are so potent for living that dictators know it and are afraid. So God's word is truth. It's our only truth. When you and I veer off what God's word says and what is spoken of and promised in here, we lose track of what is truth. And so God's word is truth. And listen, you cannot hold on to what God says, to truth about who you are, about being fearfully and wonderfully made, and believe that you're a mistake, that God doesn't know what he did. You can't hold on to those two things. It's either true or it's not true. And Jesus said himself, thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. You can't um, hold on to the idea that... Um, that God knows the plans that he has for us and believe that maybe he led us down the wrong path, that he doesn't care, that he's forgotten. There's so much truth in here. You have to gird yourselves with truth because if we lose the truth, Satan gets in and he destroys us. And remember, he's a murderer and he's a liar. And those lies get in. And you know, sometimes those fiery darts that he sends, they pierce through. A little bit. They get in a little, uh, a little nook or a little chink in our armor, and they fester, and they spoil, and they rot, and they begin to destroy. We have got to know what truth is, and it's not made up. If it, I, I'm old-fashioned enough, if it if it says it's true in here, guess what? I believe it's true, and I'm going to hold on to that, and I'm going to hold on to it in the face of a world who more and more. Uh, says it's not reliable, that it's myth, and I hold on to it. If it says it's wrong, you know what? Maybe I'll get to heaven and I'll find out that they were right and I was wrong. Maybe it's not all truth, but guess what? What if I get to heaven if, and find out that it's all right and I didn't believe it was true? I would rather be proven to be the other way than to pr find out that it was all right. God's word is truth. It is our standard for living as believers. And I cannot go in and say, well, that's true and that's true. Not so much true. Not so much. That's a story. That couldn't have possibly happened. But this is true. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's every, everybody likes that one, but there are a lot that they don't like. So I can't just pick and choose. I can't just decide what I like to follow and what I don't like to follow. When it says do not lie, guess what it means? Don't do not lie. <laughs> when it says don't gossip, don't let the anger, don't let the sun go down on your anger. When it says all of those things, that's what it means. And that's for us. The world teaches us really that truth is what we make it. Whatever you want to be, good and bad are relative. I know this. I live near Ann Arbor. Did I mention that? I think it's probably a wonderful city. It's a cool place. But, um, but there are no absolutes, the world says. There are no absolutes. Only equal, valid opinions. And that's not just coming from the world. Sadly, it's coming from the pulpit. And it's coming from the Christian colleges and the seminaries. It's infiltrating all that we are and we do. It's, we've lost this idea of truth, and that truth is supposed to hold everything else together like the belt does. The Bible teaches us that there is truth, and that God's word is truth. John 17, 17 said that, thy word is truth. And good and bad, right and wrong, good and evil are defined by God. Not by us, not by what I think it should be, not by what I wish it was, but by what it is specifically. And when Paul told the believers in Rome not to be conformed to this world, don't buy into that world system. 
It's okay to, stay, to stand alone believing that God's word is truth. Trust me, I often stand alone. I mean, Matt and I together most of the time. But we stand alone sometimes in our idea that God's word says it's right or wrong, and we believe it. The Roman believers weren't to be conformed to this world. They weren't to let the world squeeze them into their mold. And part of that means that you don't buy, you and I, we don't buy into this system that says that absolute truth is a myth. You know, I think part of the reason we get there and we kind of lose sight of the whole belt of truth is uh, the Bible compares humans to what animal more than any other? Sheep. Sheep. Right. And I did. I grew up as a kid in the suburbs. I did not get to grow up in the thumb or in some of the beautiful, I know. And I am lesser, I'm a lesser man for that. <laughs> but I once heard this woman um, who did know sheep and she said, you know the problem with sheep, um, they don't just run away, but they nibble themselves lost. And so they're standing within eyesight of the shepherd and they see a really good-looking tuft of grass only two steps away. So they go to it. Then they see the next one. And then they see one they couldn't see from the first spot, so they keep going. And I think that describes so much of how I end up with some of the, the, um, the lostness that I've had to work on and how much I've, I've uh, realized there is truth. And I didn't quite get there right away because I had just slowly nibbled myself lost. And that's when Jesus comes to find us. So wherever you are, to know that the truth is God is a seeking God. God is a missionary God. And you can trust that he is there for you. You know, uh, Revelation 3.20 says, is Jesus speaking? And he says, behold... I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is the outsider. I'm not going on this adventure looking for Jesus. I'm just opening the door of my heart to Jesus. And he comes in, and he doesn't give me a lecture on truth. He comes in, and what does he do? He eats with us. He eats with us. What could be better than that? I think it's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So as you guys, as you guys put on... As we learn about, as you guys, as we put on and understand this armor that Paul is talking about, uh, remember that what holds it all together is God's truth, mm -hmm. the belt of truth. Because if you try to do the battle without your belt on, or even with some gaps, well, I like that, but I don't like that, then you're kind of dragging everything around, right? And you're trying to hold it all together, like, yeah, I can fight this one just a second, I'll get it all now, oh, just, oh, no, I can't, you know, so you're trying to fight the battle, but you don't have anything to keep it all together, and so we go out there a little willy-nilly, I'm um, trying to hit, you know, hit at something, and then we come back, and we try to put, get ourselves back together, and then we go out, you know, again, the belt of truth holds everything that we need together. Well, that, that, yeah, right? You're gone. You're gone, right. So the question to ask yourself this morning, one of the questions is how secure is your belt? How secure is your belt? How secure is your understanding that truth, that God's word is truth? Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Guess what? That's a truth, right? That's a truth right there. Not only is he the truth, he just spoke the truth. No one comes to the Father but through him. What does the world want to say? There are so many different ways. Jesus is just one way. Don't worry. We're all going to get there someday. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Gird yourselves with truth. You know, interestingly, the message of the first century church was not the teachings of Jesus. It was the fact that he died and rose again. When you go back and you read all the first century messages that were being delivered, it wasn't 
the amazing, wonderful teachings of Jesus that launched Christianity out of the first century. It was the message of Easter. And that's what put the weight in his teachings. Lee, in talking about truth, was really saying that, uh, which is which is from the first chapters of Genesis, that we live not only in a physical universe, we not only live in a spiritual universe, but we live in a moral universe. There are right and wrongs. And would somebody look up Second Actually, all of us, this is that good. Second Corinthians, not that all of it's not good. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I wanted to give you all the verses in the Bible on righteousness, <laughs> but I thought we better save a forest, because there's that many. There are so many, and whether you're talking about God's righteousness, whether you're talking about our personal call to righteousness, there's so many elements to righteousness. With someone, let's hear from a few different translations. You didn't really introduce, the breastplate, Paul says after he says, gird yourselves, gird your, your loins with truth, he then says, and take on the breastplate of righteousness. Thank you. We're now moving to the breastplate of righteousness, <laughs> in case you didn't know. Ouch. <laughs> Let's hear from a few translations of 2 Corinthians 5.21, sorry. Go ahead. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in him we might become the righteousness of God. Does someone have another nuance? Amplified? Yeah, let's hear the amplified. For our sake he made Christ virtually to be sin who knew no sin, so that in and through him we might become the immediate root of being sin. That's why they call it amplified. <laughs> there some powerful words there. other one. Message? Message? That'll be, yeah, let's hear. How, dear, in Christ, God put the law of sin to never give anything to us, so we could be put right with God. For God put the sin in Christ and poured into him our sin, then in exchange he poured God's goodness into us. Mm. There you go. You know, it reminds me of that uh, one of my favorite new, newer, I guess probably seven or eight years old now, um, songs, Jesus Messiah, he became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. Yeah, he humbled himself. Okay, okay. You guys are such good singers. You have to move to Dexter. Yes. <laughs> we'll take you anywhere. Okay. Tozer said, um, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. You could say, what you believe, what you think, what you think about Jesus Christ is the most important thing about you. It determines your relationships with the people around you more than anything else. It determines your relationship with God. It determines your relationship and the inner arguing within yourself. What you think about Jesus Christ is the most important thing about you. As we see from this verse, because of Christ, we have been declared Righteous. We've been declared righteous. So much of the world is on this 
quest for innocence. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm pure. I'm, I don't need anything else. I think the world is on a quest for innocence. We as Christians are on a quest for forgiveness. And that doesn't make sense to the world, but um, 1 Corinthians uh, 1.25 says the, the wisdom of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the wisdom of God. It makes no sense if you're on this quest for forgiveness. I mean, if you're on this quest for innocence. But if you are on a quest for forgiveness, which you don't have to go out and find, it's been given to us. God's righteousness has been given to us. And because of Christ, you and I are declared righteous. If we could settle that in our minds and quit comparing and quit, we talk uh, sometimes about playing emotional ping pong. Well, I did this for you, honey, so I'm in... I'm good for right now. The ball's in your court. And, and we play this emotional ping-pong back and forth with each other in our marriages. Like, I'm one-upping you. I'm one-upping you. You know, we play that at work. If we could just get settled with the fact that we've been declared righteous by God in spite of ourselves, how incredible that would be in all our relationships. So there's... Um, there's many kinds of righteousness. Two I just want to name right now. One is declared righteousness. Declared by whom? By God. The second one is lived out righteousness. Um, somebody look up Amos chapter 5, verse 24. It's the part where the pages stick together a little more. You'll recognize it as soon as someone reads it. Yes. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never flowing. Mm -hmm. Which one is that? That is Amos, angry Amos. Chapter 5, verse 24. Would you read that again? Another word for righteousness is justice. That's another translation. Justice, uh, one of the best ways that I think of justice, thanks to computers and word, um, is you have left justify and right justify. You're justified with God when you line up with God. When you are living out God's kingdom values... That only makes sense. If God is the center of the universe, and I'm trying to live with some other opinion or idea as the center of the universe, I'm the one that's going to need adjustment. Life will work better if we could live with God as the center of the universe, out of whom righteousness and justice flow like never-ending streams. And Amos was prophesying this to the people of Israel who were in fellowship with each other and in worship with each other, but we're not caring about the poor. And they were not caring about those um, outside. So that's the lived out righteousness that we are called to. Now, some good news is you've already seen it. You've already seen what God's righteousness looks like. Because somebody loved you enough to invite you to a relationship with Jesus Christ. How did they do it? How did they live in such a way that it got your attention? It might have been your great aunt. It might have been your grandma. Probably was your grandma. And there was such a love there and such a warmth and such a, a, a settledness <coughs> There's a great video on YouTube that uh, I post on Facebook and on our church's Facebook page. It's Andy Stanley, and he's saying, with all the stuff going on with the elections, he says, I'm addressing all of you who are 45 and older. And he said, stop it. You are scaring the children. 
Whoever wins whatever election, just stop it. God is God. It's not going to all fall apart or all come together based on the human who is in the office for four years or eight years or whatever. And you have met people who are protected by the righteousness of God. There's something incredibly strong. My praying grandma was, her name was Florence Olson, married my grandpa Hook, and she was my Swedish grandma, and she was amazing. I knew she would always love me. She was like the pastor's pastor for her church in Grays Lake, Illinois. And she came to faith when she was 10, just a year before her mom uh, died of tuberculosis. And she said, in all my years, she told me this when she was 85, she lived to be 95, in all my years, either God has made me strong enough to get through whatever it was, or God put someone in my life to get me through. That's gold. You have such a special ability with the people in your lives to live out righteousness. And here's the deal. And I saw this in my grandma, and I think people would see it in us if we understood this. Righteousness is not manufactured. Righteousness is released. When you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and he dwells with you. It's not like you got to go out and find it somewhere. It's the belt of truth that you have been given. And you, you allow it to cover you. Righteousness is not manufactured. It's released. The problem is we get in God's way, don't we? Well, I don't want it to go to that person. I don't want to go to that we get, we're the ones that get in God's way. What if our prayer was, Lord, help me stay out of your way. And you work in and through me or lay me aside, whatever you need to do. And here's part of what Lee was saying. Unrighteousness is like a chink. Unrighteousness is the enemy's invitation. When you allow yourselves to go there, you're just opening yourself up for whatever that might be. One thing uh, that I, maybe God gave it to me, or it was the um, corn dogs. <laughs> this morning I woke up, because that was two nights ago. In our church, probably once every two months, um, we have a fair number of visitors and people kind of checking things out. And, and we will say, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And this morning I woke up because I was kind of struggling with the whole idea of the breastplate of righteousness. And I believed for us to have the breastplate, which covered the back as well, protected your back. Righteousness is not a religion. It's not about do's and don'ts and how, how you do things. Righteousness is not a religion. Righteousness itself is a relationship. God's righteousness is built on our relationship with him. Satan, though, attacks our idea of righteousness. I, I said to Lee a couple days ago, I said, can't we find a different word? Righteousness, when you hear righteousness, you, it's pretty easy to think what? Self-righteousness. Yeah, self-righteous people can't stand them. I tell people, I, I can't stand self-righteous people. I can't stand religious people. You know, there's the, the judgment, the holier-than-thou stuff. Satan attacks our idea of righteousness, I believe, to get at our hearts. Would somebody, uh, another great verse, Matthew 23. This is Jesus getting angry. Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28. Someone say, I got it, and read it out loud to us.
Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28. Righteousness gets released. The problem is we think we, if we take care of the outside, the inside's going to follow. But I can make as many laws as I want in order for me not to, the, the country or whomever can make as many laws as they want in order for me not to do anything against you. But would that make me hate you any less if I had some horrible thing that made me fear or hate you because you were a different color on your skin? No. No. God works from the inside out. You know, one of my favorite stories is the prodigal son. And you know the story. A man had two sons, and the religious people... Uh, Jesus tells it because the religious people were saying, why are you partying with the tax collectors and the sinners? And Jesus tells the three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, parable of the lost son. And the fact that there's only two sons should make you go, uh-oh. It's obviously a we-they thing going on. And we focus so much on the prodigal's younger brother who runs off and squanders his life on loose living. But do you know what? I used to think when he was in the pigsty eating the corn cobs or whatever is left of those, um, the pig's food, I was like, man, if we, if we could just figure out what it was that got him to come to his senses and turn and head for home, that would be like unlocking the secret to evangelism. Do you know what it was? Do you remember what it was? He's sitting there looking at the pods that the pigs are eating, and he says, How many of my father's servants, including the lowest one, has more than enough to eat? And here I am starving. The righteousness of the father is what helped his younger, far off from his memory, is what helped the younger son turn and want to head for home. And to come back as a servant, of course, that's the big surprise too. No, you're not going to be a servant. The eyes of mercy, God's mercy see further than the eyes of the younger son's repentance. And he comes back. But they throw the party, they get the fatted calf, but who's sitting outside the party? The older brother. Right. And the, the older brother is uh, so angry. And what, um, what he says, what, his, what happens, the dad comes out again to talk to the older brother when he hears about that he's out there stewing. And the, the older brother says, I've served you my entire life, and you've never thrown me a party. What the, what the older brother says there. Um, we, we see that the older brother saw himself as a slave, not as a son. Righteousness is not just about doing the right things or thinking you're in the right place. It's about a relationship with the father. He was close to his father, but he was as far off as his younger brother was when he was loose living. He argues with his father, and then we see his true attitude, don't we? The father sh shows the same love to the older brother as to the younger brother. And he kind of says, um, we didn't throw you a party because you were here. You had the blessings. You had the peace of being in our household. And remember, the, the younger brother already took his inheritance and, inheritance and squandered it. The father says something interesting. Do you know what he says? Do you remember? Everything I have is yours. 
Everything I have is yours. Now, think about who the father represents in Jesus' story. Exactly. What kind of promise is that? The righteousness of God is ours. Everything I have, the blessings are all yours. All I have is yours. I think if we could understand that, we would see what righteousness looks like and begin to see how it protects us. Would somebody look up Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Read that again. That's so good. Boy, it doesn't get much better than that. As you think about the older brother who was seeing this party and was fuming, the party was not entertainment. The party was simply the father's expression of joy. That's what righteousness looks like. It overflows into the lives of the people around it. Today... We value being true to ourselves more than anything. I don't want to be true to myself because I would be a wreck. I wouldn't be married anymore. Sorry, honey. I wouldn't have any friends anymore. If I were being true to myself, I want to be, I want to be true to God's view of me, to the way I was originally design before whatever fall and brokenness and sin happened. Can I say something? That's great. I think it's a great sentiment. It's a wonderful sentiment. But for me, what happens sometimes is after I've been walking this life, maybe it's just me, but after several years, I figure I should have arrived somewhere along the line. What happens is I get really frustrated when I have fallen. Uh, like, you know that, mm-hmm, you know that kind mm-hmm. of thing? Yes. Yeah. And, and so we have to be able to come alongside of someone that's going through that. I don't know if we do that very much. Right. You want to just finish? Re- read my notes. You got You're, it. You're right on. You got it. How, how did you see that from there? That's exactly it. <laughs> that's exactly Let's right. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> that is right that, on. You are. That is so exactly right. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. How do we do that? That's, mm-hmm. and, and we're going to get there. That's, that's exactly it. If, if we don't have this breastplate of righteousness secured by the belt of truth, all of those fiery darts come at us and they get in. That whole idea of righteousness and right standing with God. What does he say? I, I did a study of the book of Romans this year. If you ever get a chance... I mean, it is tough stuff, but it's like the best ever. What does it say? Romans uh, 1.18, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is what the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness. We have been given righteousness. That's what Matt talked about first. Given righteousness. We have been given a right standing with God because of our faith in Jesus Christ, not by works of righteousness that I have done, but according to God's mercy, he has saved us, right? God saved us, not because Lee Hook is great and Mm -hmm. I would be such an asset for the kingdom. (laughs) Asset. (laughs) That's not why he saved me, because of his mercy. He Mm -hmm. saved me. And I've been given right standing with God, not because I deserve it, 
because I don't deserve it. I could never earn it. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, given to us freely and given to us before we even approached God. He knew what we would be like, and he gave us salvation. With all of my, my faults, with all the, uh, of the Hypothetically I, speaking. If I had them. <laughs> with all of his faults. With all the, it's easier to point at him. So God did that for us. Here's, here's the thing that's so powerful about the righteousness of God is it literally guards our hearts. One of my favorite verses um, from many people's favorite psalm in 121, uh, which is, I will lift mine eyes to the mountain, to the hills, from whence my help cometh. My help comes from God. Later there, it talks about, um, he will keep your soul. I think it's the NASB that says it that way. He will keep your soul. Don't you know everything is in a battle for your soul? Shoe companies are in a battle for your soul. Just do it. And I didn't even mean that, like soul. I really didn't. There's There's a famous youth ministry quote of this guy And he says, I am in the battle for the hearts and souls of American youth from the mid-90s. And you you think he's going to be like either some evangelist or something like that. No, he's a shoe salesman. And he's he's up for getting whatever it is that we will give so he could get in there. So we could give him our money, so we could identify with that brand, whatever it might be. He's a Nike shoe salesman. So the fact is, God will keep our soul. And otherwise, we leave, without the breastplate of righteousness, we leave our heart and everything vital, all our vital organs, exposed. We leave our mind exposed. We, our heart includes our mind, our thoughts. It includes our will, our ambition toward God or toward temporary junk. Our ambition is exposed. Be, Uh, without the righteousness of God. Our emotions become exposed without the righteousness of God. And our conscience, the fact that there there is a moral compass, especially in in an era within our society of whatever. You know, a lot of us grew up in school with right and wrong. They can't really offer that to students anymore without offending someone. The one other thing that the breastplate of righteousness, oddly enough, protects us from is ourselves. If you guys would look up 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 16, 316, John 316. 1 John 316. Until 21. Even when our hearts betray us, loving one another in word and in deed is the protection of God's righteousness from without and from, remember, the powers and principalities, the spiritual battle within. It is God's righteousness that we claim. You know, in the old, uh, the ancient Roman army, um, it, it, it took 
a while for them to issue um, uniforms, standard uniforms. So in the olden army, uh, soldiers who could afford it would have the armor to wear. They could buy the best armor for themselves. But the poor had to go without, and they had to just uh, hope for the best. And they simply could not afford the armor that was there. They didn't have the belt, maybe. They didn't have the breastplate. Maybe they were going out uh, unarmed. And if they had to go out unarmed and unprotected, I'm sure they must have felt going out to battle with the most vulnerable parts of their body exposed, a, a, an incredibly frightening experience. That's not true with us. That is not true. You have, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, on Calvary, he gave us all that we need to go into battle. But you have to do something, Paul says. It's not just flung on you. You've got to pick up. Pick up that breastplate of righteousness, and you put it on. And then when those fiery darts come, you know you're protected. And you can go back and you can quote. Listen to what Paul says in, in Romans 8. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You know this. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? In all these things we have over, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor principalities, nor angels, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Listen, there is nothing else left that can ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The word of God is the truth that encompasses it all, keeps it all into place. When you feel that thing that says you're not worth it, You've really blown it this time. God's never going to use you. You'll never amount to anything. You're not smart enough. You're not thin enough. You're not cute enough. You're not a hard enough worker. You don't get it. You're not spiritual enough. You pull out your Bible, and you remember what God has said about you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've called you by name. You are mine. And you gird yourself with that truth. I tell you, if the only thing you can remember is, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? You quote that to Satan, and you, t you see what he can do to you then. Put on the belt of truth, which will hold in place that breastplate of righteousness, saying, I have given you eternal life freely. Freely, you'll never earn it. Don't keep trying. You'll never earn your salvation. All you can do is thank me for it and live righteously. Listen, if those soldiers in the old Roman army had to go out to battle undressed, vulnerable, we never do. The price was paid at Calvary for your breastplate and your belt of truth. You never have to go out and buy your own. You can't. You couldn't afford it. You don't have to do it. Righteousness has been freely given to us in Jesus Christ. So let's help each other. Listen, you don't have to do it alone. You can help somebody else pick up their breastplate of righteousness by saying, I think you're great. We do it with our kids or our grandkids all the time. Sometimes we tear them down. But our goal is to build them. You can do this. I know you can. Let me help you. Here's your breastplate of righteousness. As you're, as you're thinking about what you can do practically, um, just one last reminder of the story of the prodigal son. I found it amazing that as soon as the kid is like within eyeshot, the father's like booking it out to him. Throws the cloak or the robe, throws the ring, the sandals, the fatted calf. It's like instant party. The instant party was not for anything the son had done. The instant party came from the eternal covenant 
that God set from the beginning. And so it was simply a matter of receiving the party, the celebration, the righteousness, the goodness of God. That relationship being established. And if you're feeling like the prodigal or if you're feeling like the older brother, instead, think like the father, who's the real prodigal one. He was the one, prodigal means recklessly wasteful. We always think it's the son. It was the father all along. For you to live prodigally, for you to live with the breastplate of righteousness that doesn't just guard you, but extends to family, to friends, to community, to church, in such a way that there is the celebration waiting to happen that other people could actually have that too. Not because of them or you, but because of the eternal covenant that was set from the beginning when God established it in the heavens. The battle is won. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for your word, and I'm so grateful that we have access to truth, and I'm so grateful that we don't have to find truth on our own or define truth on our own. And I don't always like what I read, but I'm going to follow what you said, and I'm going to believe that it's truth. Father, I pray that you would help us to know truth. Help us to know your word, because in it are found the words of life. And so I pray, Father, that we would be able to counteract Satan's attacks because of the belt of truth, the word of God that we've put around us, that we have uh, kept everything else uh, together by your word. Give us the desire to know your word and to use it. And when Satan comes in and wants to attack us, I pray, God, that you would help us remember any little bit of scripture. He hates it all. So give us your word and put it on our hearts and on our minds. God, I pray that we would take the armor that we have, we would put it on, and that we would get some victory going in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.